0: Hello and welcome to Vegas Odds Football I am your host, Daniel Ocho In this episode, I am going to be breaking down the NFC South As we continue with our divisional previews Uh, We're going to be talking Falcons, Saints, Buccaneers, Panthers The the whole division, uh, as well as some prop previews for each of the teams Talking about some props uh, that maybe we can cash in on early Before the books really start to adjust So without further ado, let's dive in Okay, here we go with our NFC South Divisional Preview, and we are going to begin with the Atlanta Falcons. So, the Atlanta Falcons are a strange team in previewing for the upcoming NFL season because when I think about the Falcons, it almost feels as though... The head coach and the general manager are not on the same page. So the the Falcons bring back Arthur Smith. Their GM moved on from Matt Ryan, just going through some of the players they lost this year. They lose Hayden Hurst, Fabian Moreau at corner, um, Calvin Ridley gone for a year with suspension for gambling, Russell Gage to the Bucs, and biggest of all, Matt Ryan, their franchise quarterback for the better part of the last 15 years. They trade him to the Colts. They bring in some draft capital. And in terms of guys they bring in, they draft Drake London, wide receiver from USC in the first round, they bring in Desmond Ritter, two second round linebackers, they sign Marcus Mariota, Casey Haywards, uh, Lorenzo Carter, they bring in some talent as well, but what I mentioned before about this team not being on the same page between general manager and head coach is really that when I look at what the Falcons did this offseason, this seems to me a team that's bottoming out. They're not looking to compete for a divisional title. And it seems that, especially in the wake of the Matt Ryan trade, the Falcons have really looked in the mirror and given themselves an assessment. They're a lot closer to tanking and bottoming out than they are to, at least with the present roster construction, uh, competing for a divisional title. So in doing so, they move on with Matt Ryan. I think that bridge was burned once they were attempting to trade for the embattled former Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson. And Matt Ryan requests a trade. Ultimately, he winds up in Indianapolis and now find themselves in the unenviable position of having to pick up the pieces in the wake of your franchise quarterback moving on. The good news here is that the Falcons have some real I think difference makers on this roster, specifically Kyle Pitts. They they bring back Drake London was a, just a great pick. I think on offense they have some talent. Daryl Patterson wasn't a superstar by any means last year, but he did something I've never really seen before in terms of developing ten years into your career into this really every down startable running back uh, in, in fantasy. He was certainly a surprise, but on top of that, he was really a difference maker in that offensive game plan. So. If I dig into some of the stats about this Falcons team, outside of just the the sheer fact that from a roster construction point, they seem to have ridded themselves of all their their major contracts. They have something like $70 in dead cap this year. They're paying guys just not to play for them. Guys like Matt Ryan, guys like Julio Jones, they're paying these contracts out. They're they're counted against the cap, and they don't have these guys in the roster anymore. So it's a difficult position to be in to still be paying those contracts and still trying to field the roster in, in 2022. But what I think the Falcons are doing here is reloading. They're reloading, and I, I think they see this as a, a year where they're going to be on the downturn. They're not going to be able to compete in the way they've been used to over the last several years. But in digging into some of the advanced analytics stats for the Falcons, Football Outsiders by DVOA, they were the worst seven-win team of all time last year. They went seven and ten. I think some people were surprised, myself included, that the Falcons won seven games last year because most people watching that team sort of felt like they were a disaster. But they were probably the first of what I would only assume will be a string of these terrible seven-win teams, whereas we used to think of sort of six-win teams in the NFL as a team that went six and ten. They really weren't worth writing home about. But when we think about a seven-win team, maybe we thought they were a game or two away from being in contention. With the new 17-game format, seven wins just don't mean seven wins anymore. It's just not what it was. So the Falcons, by every statistical measure, are the worst 7-win team of all time, according to DVOA. They finish 7-2 and in one-score games. They're due for some massive regression in that regard. We talk about this on every episode. Statistics that are not necessarily translatable from year to year. They're not consistent. One of those statistics is your team's record in one-score games. So I know this often comes up in college football more, more than the NFL a lot. But a lot of times we see teams close out these tight games and we give them a little bit too much credit because it's sort of a statistical anomaly to win a disproportionate number of your one score games. You're you're due for some bad luck. You're due for some negative or positive regression in that regard. Um, So the Falcons last year finished with seven wins despite having a minus 146 point differential last year. Their O-line was pathetic. They didn't do much to address any of their issues on the O-line. And the sad part is their O-line was actually extremely healthy. They had one of the more consistent groupings last year, despite the fact that they were not very good by any metric. They didn't do really anything to address the deficiencies, as I mentioned, besides bringing in Marcus Mariota and... Marcus Mariota is a guy who worked with Arthur Smith in Tennessee. He's a quarterback who's very capable on the run. He seems to have done something of a reclamation in Las Vegas over the last several years. I know Gruden really had a soft spot for him before, you know, getting in a lot of trouble and getting kicked out of the NFL. But this is a guy who's been trying to get back into a starting role for the last few years after flaming out in Tennessee. The years that we did see Mariota start, I don't think he's ever thrown for more than like 14 or 15 touchdowns in a season. It was pretty dire for him. Uh, He played one exceptionally impressive game in the playoffs for the Titans a few years ago when he was a starter against the Chiefs. If anyone remembers, I believe he caught a touchdown in that game. But outside of that, it was tough sledding for Mariota. This was a guy who was hyped up to be a true franchise quarterback. He's one of the best college football players of all time. Uh, He was really a stud at that level. And to see him sort of flame out in the NFL, it was really disappointing for me and for, I think, a lot of people who bought into the hype of him as a talented runner and passer who could really change up the league. He was who Robert Griffin III was sort of ended up being. Uh, Mariota was sold to be that type of player uh, that what Lamar Jackson ended up being. He was sold to be that kind of player. And ultimately, he's flamed out. Now he finally has another chance to prove the doubters wrong These these years and years later. But I think ultimately his role here is really just that of a tank commander. I think that Mariota is here to shepherd this Falcons team, a number one overall pick, because as I mentioned before, this Falcons team does have some young players. They have some difference makers in Kyle Pitts, maybe the best tight end prospect for the last like, five or six years, seven years. Uh, and Drake London now, um, they have some guys on this team that are young enough to grow next year and, and put a quarterback in a good position uh, if they do draft one in the top three or four picks of next year's draft. But everything about this team, looking at the roster construction, screams to me that they're bottoming out. Even the Desmond Ritter uh, draft pick, he's been pegged as this most pro-ready quarterback. He showed some real promise at Cincinnati, but I don't view him as a franchise guy. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. Maybe he comes in and really steps up and shows the reason that the Falcons took a chance on him. But I'm not keen on the rest of this roster, the, the pieces around him. Um, I know I said before that there is some young talent here that sort of sets up the Falcons for a better position in the draft next year and to allow them to pursue a franchise quarterback this coming offseason. But I don't see Desmond Ritter being the difference maker here. I don't see Marcus Mariota taking this team to five or six wins. I think this is a team that's ultimately going to be the number one pick in the draft next year. I think that despite Arthur Smith's consternation uh, and, and despite his efforts, this is going to be a team that's drafting one, two or three. And I think the Falcons will ultimately go under their projected four and a half win total. I didn't even mention the over-under win total to this point because, frankly, it seems sort of pointless. I, I don't see any world in which the Falcons are winning five games. This this is a pathetic roster uh, with a dire quarterback room, and for all the ancillary offensive talent, I, I don't see a world in which they go over that bet for our prop bet for the falcons i know i'd mention drake london but I, I love the over on drake london 745 and a half receiving yards now i know that betting on rookies has been a bad bet for the history of the nfl rookie receivers in particular almost never step in and slide into a situation where they're going for a thousand yards but The last couple of years have proven to be outliers there. We saw what Jamar Chase did. We saw what Justin Jefferson did. We're coming off some of the best rookie receiver seasons of all time. And I think that's a combination of the fact that NFL offenses are getting better about what they're asking these receivers to do in terms of uh, getting them involved in the offense. A lot of times, rookies would sort of struggle to develop their route trees or struggle to be in the right place at the right time. Famously, Devontae Adams, when he was a young receiver with Aaron Rodgers, who ultimately went to be his sort of partner in crime, he could not get on the same page as a young receiver with Rodgers, and he was dropping the ball, and Rodgers just didn't trust him, and Adams was picked to replace Jordy Nelson, and it was a bad situation where it looked like Devontae Adams may be a bust. Ultimately, Devontae Adams, as we've seen, has developed into one of the better receivers in the league. But Devontae Adams was the normal situation here. We look at guys like Jamar Chase, we look at guys like Justin Jefferson, and we think now this is what a rookie receiver should look like. But those guys are by far the outliers in the course of NFL history. So in looking at Drake London and and his over projected 745 and a half yardage total, it would be easy to say the under on this, right? Because I'm so low on the Falcons as a roster. I'm so low on their quarterback room. But the problem here and what I think benefits Drake London is simply that they're is not a lot of other competition there for targets, for yardage. Somebody's going to be catching the ball on this offense. One way or another, Kyle Pitts can't catch every pass, despite what the Falcons may truly believe going into this year. So if Drake London can just average 45 to 50 yards a game, this is a bet that I really, really like. I don't see a world where this guy plays 15 or 16 games and is not going over this yardage total just by virtue of the fact that the Falcons need somebody. They need somebody to catch the ball. And I look at this roster. They have Ryan Edwards, who they traded for. I don't see anyone else who's really sticking out to me as somebody who could steal this from Drake London other than Kyle Pitts in terms of target competition, yardage competition within this offense. Moving on now, let's talk about the Carolina Panthers. I know I was pretty negative about the Falcons just now, but I wanted to do the the Panthers next because I think the Panthers are also one of the worst teams in the NFL going into this year. There's no other way to look at it. Their over-under projected win total this year is six games. In terms of key losses, they lose Hassan Reddick to the Eagles, Stephon Gilmore, A.J. Boye. They bring in Xavier Woods at safety, Austin Corbett at guard, uh, Matt Ioannidis on the interior D line. They drafted Matt Corral from Ole Miss. This is a team that didn't have a lot of draft capital because they've been trading for the garbage bin heap quarterbacks for the last three years. They do that again this year. They they bring in Baker Mayfield. That's sort of the big trade for the Panthers this offseason. Pseudo-disgrace Baker Mayfield, who was replaced by a quarterback who's embroiled in not one, not two, but 27, 24 sexual assault possible cases. And now People are sort of selling themselves in the idea that Baker Mayfield is going to be angry. He's going to take it to the NFL, take it to the rest of the league. He's going to play hard and he's going to show why he was the number one overall pick. And you know what? I don't buy it. I don't buy into Baker Mayfield. More importantly, in talking about why I don't buy in a Baker Mayfield, we have to talk about the Panthers' new offensive coordinator, Ben McAdoo, former New York Giants head coach, the Cheesecake Factory legend. And I call him the Cheesecake Factory legend because famously he had this huge play sheet that looked like a Cheesecake Factory menu with, with all these plays. And you know what? The offense still didn't look any good despite all the plays he had on there. Uh, this huge menu of options. It, did, it didn't really look too innovative there, Ben. and Anyone who who lives in New York or who followed the Giants during his tenure knows the sort of stagnant offense we, we saw from him. This is the guy who benched uh, Eli Manning for Geno Smith and broke up that starting streak. I think that there are still Giants fans riding in the street over that one. But Ben McAdoo is a guy who prioritizes things I don't think Baker Mayfield works well with. And when I say this is something he prioritizes, what I really mean is he prioritizes quick passes and this sort of tempo offense, uh, getting the ball out on time in a rhythm, a rhythmic offense. And the problem is when you have somebody like Eli Manning, who is a very tall guy, he, he's a guy who's built like an NFL quarterback in terms of just the height, can see over the line. You can do that. But when you have Baker Mayfield, a short king, as some might call him, with small hands and who is not tall by any means, he can't see over the middle of the field, he has to constantly be on the run, he has to constantly be moving in order to process the full field, I don't think Ben McAdoo can possibly run the offense he's been running throughout the course of his NFL tenure with Baker Mayfield due to Baker's physical limitations. And beyond those physical limitations, I just don't see this Panthers offense transitioning into what has really allowed Baker to shine as a quarterback in in the league. And what that really is, is play action uh, and getting out there on the run. Like I said before, we're now in year three of this Matt Patricia experience. Former Baylor head coach, Matt Patricia comes in. He's a franchise builder. They call him. Uh, He famously turned that program around. I haven't been impressed at all from what I've seen with Patricia beyond him firing his head coach or his offensive coordinator last year. And sort of laying the blame at Brady's feet despite an organizational fuck up of what I would call trading for Sam Darnold. I just haven't been impressed in any way by what Matt Patricia has done. So you'll excuse me if I have some doubts about how he will utilize Baker Mayfield. We've already seen Matt Patricia try to turn around these embattled quarterbacks who've been discarded by their teams, Teddy Bridgewater, uh, Sam Darnold, and now Baker. Baker's the third option. And Patricia has had this win-now mentality that has ultimately, I think, come at the cost of long-term success. Since he's come there, the Panthers have had a lot of top 10 picks that that have allowed them to have an opportunity to draft one of those top end quarterbacks, one of those top prospects. And they've foregoed that opportunity at every chance they've had. In in lieu of that, they've pursued these bargain bin. I guess they view them as almost market inefficiency quarterbacks who are like Bridgewater, like Sam Darnold, like Baker, who are unwanted by their former teams, who they think maybe they can wring a little more juice out of than the other team was getting from them. And we've seen that fail twice already. I think Baker is a better prospect, a better player than both Teddy Bridgewater and Sam Darnold. Don't don't get me wrong. But in looking at what made Baker so useful to the Browns, uh, it was really that play-action, pre-snap motion stuff the Browns' offense implemented once their new head coach took over a few years ago. So in 2020, Cleveland's DVOA, according to Football Outsiders, jumped from 15.5% to 27% when using play-action, uh, and Mayfield was really consistent during this period. He really looked like a guy who could be Super Bowl level quarterback. I don't know if he was going to be an MVP level quarterback, but he was really making consistent big plays, chunk plays that allowed that offense to keep moving. When I look at Ben McAdoo, when you dig into the stats for the Ben McAdoo New York Giants, they were at the bottom of the league in play action. They ranked during his years as head coach, 23rd, 29th and 21st in play action frequency from 2015 to 2017. And on top of that, every year he was there, they were in the bottom third of the league in pre-snap motions. So, The things that make Baker workable as a quarterback are not things that McAdoo values. So I don't see a world in which this partnership works. I don't see a world in which this Panthers team, given what they've done, uh, sort of leveraging their future assets to pursue these embattled quarterbacks, uh, where it works out in a way that is tangible for wins on the field. And I don't see a world in which this Panthers team is not drafting in the top five next year. I think Matt Patricia is a lame duck coach in betting on over under win totals. I always try not to bet the over on a lame duck coach because it never works out. If any coach is going to get fired this year, it's going to be Matt Patricia unless he makes the playoffs. Basically, it's playoffs or bust. So. I'm taking the under on the Panthers this year. The Panthers are my pick to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. I think Baker could show some signs of life again and ultimately find maybe a better home next year. But I'm taking the under on the Panthers six and a half games or under six games. And I also think I'm going to throw a little bit of money on Matt Patricia for first coach fired. Like I said before, Matt Patricia is a lame duck. If this team does not get started on the right foot, I think Matt Patricia could not be long for this world as head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Now, in terms of player props, in the same vein that I mentioned, I, I'm hammering Baker, I'm hammering Ben McAdoo here, but the player prop I like most for the Panthers this year is Baker Mayfield under 3,800 and a half passing yards. And why do I like this? Touchdowns are more fluky, right? Year to year, they're, they're one of those stats you can't really prognosticate on because they are a lot of luck involved in, in touchdown totals, but... I don't see Baker hitting the over on this because of play style. And over the course of the season, I think the inherent conflict in his passing style with what Ben McAdoo likes to run, and the fact that, frankly, I think Ben McAdoo sucks at running an offense, I don't see a world in which Baker is going to go over this 3,800 and a half passing yard total. So that's why Baker under is my player prop for the Carolina Panthers this year. Moving on, let's talk about the New Orleans Saints. This is a more fun one, right? Because... The Saints are going to be good this year. I I really like the Saints. They lose Teron Armstead. They lose Marcus Williams. Alvin Kamara is likely to face a suspension. They lose Sean Payton, their, their franchise head coach, the guy who really got them to this place as a franchise of consistent contendership after the Saints were a joke for a long time. These guys were the Browns. People forget because they've been good for so long, but they were like a Jets level, Browns level joke of a franchise. And Sean Payton turned all of that around. Drew Brees and Sean Payton together did that. Now they bring back their defensive coordinator and the new head coach, Dennis Allen. They bring back their former offensive coordinator who hasn't called plays because Sean Payton's called plays for most of his Saints tenure. But the year that the Sean Payton was suspended and, and a little bit in 2016, this current offensive coordinator was calling plays for the Saints. So it's not a completely new situation. In terms of roster additions, they bring in Tyron Matthew, they bring in Marcus May, uh, Jarvis Landry, Daniel Sorensen. They draft Chris Olave and Trevor Penning in the first round. They get Michael Thomas back from an injury. They bring in Andy Dalton for some backup leverage, I guess, with Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston tore his ACL, so they bring him back as well. Uh, They they rebuilt their secondary through free agency. And listen, if you bring back a star receiver, if you draft a potential star receiver in Chris Olave in the first round and... You bring back a quarterback who I think has relatively high ceiling potential in terms of explosiveness. I'm going to be high on the offense. There's just no way I can look at this roster offensively and and not think that they're going to be much better than they were last year. This team won 10 games last year. The Saints won 10 games with a rotating door of quarterbacks. Trevor Simeon starting stretches for them. Uh, They had awful injury luck on the front line last year uh, in terms of their quarterback situation. It was disgusting for most of the year. They were playing with Taysom Hill. They had like zero useful receivers on this team without Michael Thomas. And when Winston blew out his ACL, it was all basically toast for them. But this team had a lot of heart. They they kept playing hard. And part of that was that this defense is not to be fucked with. And they're still not to be fucked with. If you look at some of the advanced analytics for the Saints defense, they are one of like three teams to have an above average DVOA, according to Football Outsiders, each of the last five seasons. So five years of defensive consistency like that, that is an organizational mandate. There are guys in that building who are really prioritizing the right things uh, from a roster construction standpoint and from the standpoint of play calling and just what people are emphasizing inside that building. And if you look at just every level of this defense, you have DeMario Davis, Marshawn Lattimore, Cam Jordan. I think that Football Outsider has this defense ranked as the best defense going into the 2022 season. It's hard to disagree with that. The Saints are loaded on the defensive side of the ball. They have enough difference makers on the offensive side of the ball, I think they're really going to be a fun team to watch this year. And I think they really have an opportunity to surprise people. The Saints right now are projected eight and a half wins or over under is eight and a half wins. And I think honestly, that's too low. This is a team that really competed throughout the entire season, despite not having Jameis, despite having one of the worst receiver rooms I've ever seen in the NFL. And you know what? They, they were really competitive. I, I think that Alvin Kamara losing him for part of the season is a big loss, but they brought back their boy, Mark Ingram, who was able to shoulder the load a little bit last year in a way that I think surprised a lot of people, including myself. And as much as we talk about a lot of defensive statistics not being transferable year to year. I think when you look at just the talent and some of the injury luck that this team has faced over the last couple of years, it's hard not to project this defense to be top, top end a Super Bowl caliber defense. Now, that offense is really where the question mark lies, because the variance on Jameis, the variance on a lot of these players that they're relying on within that offense is so huge. Where we could see Jameis implode. We could see the 30 interception Jameis, or we could see a guy who is really trying to take care of the ball like he was with the Saints early in the year last year. With all of that said, I have to go over on the Saints projected win total of eight and a half games, relying primarily on the back of their defense. I think this offense is going to be passable. I think that with Kamara coming back in the in the second half of the season, wherever he ends up missing time, he ends up missing. I think that that's going to jumpstart this offense in the second half. And if Michael Thomas can stay hot, if he can stay healthy, I see him returning to form and forming a, a unique partnership with Jameis, much like Jameis had with Mike Evans, with Chris Godwin in his, in his former stop. And if Chris Olave can develop and be even 50 to 60 percent of the receiver that, that we've seen some of these rookies prove to be, or to come on even in the second half of the season, we could see a Saints offense that really finds itself over the second half of the year and ends up being a team that nobody wants to face come playoff time. So now I want to briefly talk about my prop pick for the New Orleans Saints. And this one speaks to what I was saying about Michael Thomas. I want Michael Thomas over 74 and a half receptions. I know nobody wants to bet on Michael Thomas after what he's done the last two and a half years. It's been nothing but fuckery from this guy. He wanted to be traded. He was talking a lot of nonsense on Twitter. He's constantly insufferable online. Uh, He missed two seasons basically saying he was going to come back. He didn't have ankle surgery until well after the team wanted him to have it. He, He was really being an absolute tool so it's hard to really root for the guy. It's hard to feel comfortable betting on him, especially after he's been basically out of football for two full years but i think people are forgetting just how goddamn good michael thomas was three years ago when he he last played this guy was one of the top two or three receivers in the league last time he stepped on the field so i find it hard to believe that if he's healthy if he's back he's not going to catch at least 80 passes there's just no way to me and i know that this number's set because they're baking in that faulty ankle they're baking in that injury luck but you know what betting on football is supposed to be fun and you know what will be fun Watching Michael Thomas catch six to seven balls every goddamn week and knowing that your your overs looking good. You could hit this over potentially by like week 11 or 12 because Thomas is just a machine. And that's what I want to see. I don't know if this offense is going to be that high flying, but I believe in Michael Thomas. I believe in him coming back from the injury. I believe that Jameis can definitely sustain Michael Thomas's numbers. And I want to hit the over on Michael Thomas, 74 and a half receptions this year. Finally, the last team in the NFC South we're going to talk about today is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, They are the Tom Brady-led Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tom Brady almost retires. Their over-under is set at 11 and a half games. They lose their head coach, Bruce Arians. He just got old, didn't want to do this anymore. Maybe Chris Godwin for part of the year, that late season ACL tear. Jason Pierre-Paul is gone. Dominic Sue is gone. Alex Kappa. Jordan Whitehead. Ronald Jones. Gronk retired. We already saw that their all-pro center, Ryan Jensen, maybe the best center in the league they lose him to an Achilles tear. In terms of additions, they bring on Russell Gage, Shaq Mason, Akeem Hicks. They just signed Jones. So it's, it's not all bad news that their best addition was really bringing in Tom Brady, bringing him back from retirement because uh, this is a team that looks completely different if that's not the case. So they already have lost early in this preseason. When We're talking about them now. They've lost some of their O-line starters. Their starters in the O-line last year played 88% of snaps together, which was the best in the league. One of the best in the NFL in terms of continuity on the offensive line and you know what you need when you have a 45 year old quarterback you need continuity on the offensive line you need him not to get touched Tom Brady over the last several years has developed into this guy who gets the ball out extremely quickly I think the only quarterback last year who was getting the ball out quicker than Tom Brady was Big Ben and it was because he was a corpse and didn't want to be touched anymore so Brady is is getting the ball out quickly and part of that is that he's old and knows he doesn't want to get hit and part of that is that this offensive line allows him to do that it's not just that Brady if you look at how Brady was getting his yards last year versus how Big Ben was getting his Big Ben was getting these plays where he got the ball out quickly and the guy would get tackled immediately Brady and this Bucks offense have produced some big plays over the last few years, despite the fact that he's been getting the ball out quickly. And part of that is because this offensive line has allowed Brady to feel confident in that protection scheme and confident enough to extend plays and take some deep shots down the field to those stud receivers that Brady's been surrounded by his entire time there. So when I look at the fact that they've already lost their all pro center to an Achilles tear for the entire season, they already had before this two new starters coming into the offensive line. I'm a little bit worried about what the Bucks are going to look like this year because I think that things like that can snowball. If your quarterback is not your 45-year-old quarterback, again, he's very old. Uh, if he's not trusting his offensive line, if he's now in a position where he can't extend those plays because he doesn't want to get injured, we may see an offense that looks more akin to those last end-of-era Tom Brady Patriots teams, which were not lighting the world on fire offensively. Obviously, there's more receiving talent, more offensive talent on this Bucks roster than those Brady teams had, but still, it got ugly there when, when that offensive line started to falter. Part of the identity of this Brady team since he came to Tampa Bay has been dominating in the trenches, up front on the defensive line, up front on the offensive line. And losing a guy like Gronk for all he is as a receiver— it hurts a lot the running game that he won't be there this year because he is one of the better blocking tight ends of all time. So for all these reasons, I'm going to take the Bucks under 11 and a half wins this year. I don't see Tom Brady taking this team to another one seed. I don't see this offensive line lasting the entire season. They had a lot of injury luck on that offensive line. I know they basically had the worst injury luck in the defensive secondary, so maybe they're due for some regression in that regard, but. Even despite that, they they lose a lot of the identity of this team in terms of the trenches dominating up front. And without that identity on the offensive side of the ball, I don't trust a 45-year-old quarterback over the course of 17 games to stay healthy. Brady's been one of the healthiest players in the NFL over the last 10 years. And I think at some point it has to come to an end. Maybe players on the defensive side of the ball smell blood in the water. This was a guy who was retired. He was going home. He was done. And now he loses his center. He has two other new starters on the offensive line. It could be an ugly situation, and if I'm going to bet against the the Bucs, then I am going to throw some money on the Saints to win the NFC South at plus 310. I like the Saints this year. I like them maybe to throw a long shot bet to win the NFC South. Something to keep in mind there. That's a funner long-term play. Player props for this Bucks team. I'll just run through a few really quickly. I love Mike Evans over 10.5 receiving touchdowns. Evans has gone over both of the last two seasons with 13 last year and 12 the year before. And he has far less target competition for red zone targets. uh, With Chris Godwin likely to miss time, likely to struggle a little bit coming back from that ACL tear. Chris Godwin led the team in red zone targets last year. Gronk was up there, I think he had 13 or 14. And you know what? There's some vacated red zone opportunities there. And if Mike Evans can stay healthy over the course of the season, I don't see a world in which he goes under that 10 and a half receiving touchdown total. I'm also going to be hammering Leonard Fournette anytime touchdown scorer bets all season because I think this guy is going to see a shit ton of opportunities to score in the red zone to score whether it be by reception or by rush he was third in the NFL only behind Jonathan Taylor and Austin Eckler in red zone rushes over the second half of last year this was a guy who was getting the ball in primetime areas constantly so Leonard Fournette anytime touchdown scorer look out for it every week because I think it's going to be a bankable bet this year. And that concludes our preview of the NFC South. I will be back next week to preview the AFC South. Thanks as always for your time. And I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye now.